0: Love Talk Radio Diabetes Late Night
1: I can cast a spell Secrets that you can tell Mix a special brew
0: it means to me. Hello, Divas and Dudes. Welcome to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Thank you for tuning in to our Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight, we're celebrating World Diabetes Day with a musical inspiration from the Queen of Soul, the late, great Aretha Franklin. She's singing all the diva classics all night long. Now, have you ever wondered why today, November 14th, is a chosen date for the largest diabetes awareness campaign in the world? Well, November 14th is the birthday for Sir Frederick Banting, the man who co-discovered insulin alongside his student assistant, Charles Best, at the University of Toronto. The news of their discovery in 1922 spread rapidly through beyond Canada, and the next year Banting was awarded the Nobel Prize and became an international hero. Now that you've got your insulin history conquered, maybe you want to find out how high is your insulin IQ later on in this broadcast. We'll be playing Teach Me Tonight All About the Insulin Game Challenge with one lucky listener. Plus, we'll be exploring how friendships impact your diabetes health, the link between pancreatic cancer and diabetes, makeup and skincare tips for getting your diva on, advice for managing your blood sugars while you're working out, and it, what it really feels like to be living with diabetes day in and day out. My guests include poet Lorraine Brooks, Dr. Um, Wendy Satin-Rappaport, other known as the Diabetes Psych, Diabetes Strong owner Crystal Oram, Beautyphonics makeup artist and skincare expert Susan Perez, Coach for the Cure, health educator Trisha Artman, diabetes advocate and fundraiser, Jessica Clark, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, Patricia Addy Gentle, and hey, maybe even Mariah Carey will be stopping by. No, but I do have an all-star diva lineup, and it's all because it's World Diabetes Day. It's going to be an action-packed diva extravaganza for the next two hours with me. And like I said earlier, throughout the podcast, we're going to be playing Aretha Franklin Sings the Great Diva Classics, courtesy of Sony Music. The theme this year for World Diabetes Day is the family and diabetes. And today on Twitter, I noticed that the International Diabetes Federation posted that two in three people wouldn't know how to take care of a family member who was living with diabetes. That really struck home to me because my former boss, Luther Vandross, had a stroke due to his uh, mismanagement of his type 2 diabetes in 2003, right before the release of Dance with My Father and although i have a family history of diabetes on my mother's side i really was not involved in his care and uh, it's something i still regret to this day so all of you listening it's so important to open up and talk to your family your friends your coworkers and even your employees and let them know how they could help you manage your care so you could stay happy and healthy i think support can make a huge difference in the quality of someone's life living with diabetes for that reason, I want to take a minute to acknowledge someone in my family who always supported my efforts in diabetes advocacy, and that's my father. My father, Stan Zedek, passed away last November, and um, I've never acknowledged it on the show, but <laughs> it's still hard, but um, for 14 years, my father and my mother worked side-by-side side with me to present diabetes education and p- empowerment through diabetic. And uh, it started all the way at the very beginning when I had just a little table with T-shirts. My mom and dad came there and helped me display them, and watched me grow my organization into something much bigger. Uh, my dad loved coming to New York and working backstage on the D Life ta- tapings, and then he was even by my side to welcome over a thousand women affected by diabetes and their loved ones in Cleveland when we hosted Make Over Your Diabetes event. And so tonight, I'm dedicating this. Uh, podcast to my father as a tribute to my dad uh, because he always was so proud of me and encouraged me to do so much. So I have a huge announcement coming up because I just, he inspires me every day to want to do more. So I said I wouldn't get too emotional, but that's why. I thought um, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, every show that we ever had a diva, betic, we would always do a diva, betic anthem by Luther. It was a power of love. So we're going to do a quick snippet, and I'm going to come back and make a good. Uh, I'm going to make a big announcement. But let's listen to Luther Vandross singing my diva, betic anthem, one of my favorite
1: songs. Here we go.
0: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. i got a little blue there, but I'm also wearing blue because, hey, it's World Diabetes Day, and I have some big news to share with you tonight and for all the people who might be clueless about the link between cardiovascular disease and diabetes living in New York City. But I can't do it alone, so I want to welcome my first guest to tonight's Powerhouse Podcast. Please welcome the Vice President of Marketing uh, for Diabetes for uh, Boehringer Ingelheim, Graham Goodrich. Hi, Graham.
2: Hey, Max. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing great. They lit up the Empire State Building for World Diabetes Day and several other national monuments around the world, and uh, I'm just so excited to be doing our part to raise awareness in a fun new way. How about you? Uh,
2: likewise, and I have to say it's, uh, I was touched by the story of your, of your father, and it's an honor to be on the show the night you are honoring him, so thank you.
0: Well, thank you. You know, a lot of my listeners are familiar with Boehringer Ingelheim, but then there's some listeners who aren't. I know you're a worldwide research-driven pharmaceutical company that was founded in 1885, but I don't know how many other people know that. So I don't you just give us a little background on Boehringer Ingelheim and tell a little bit of our listeners about your commitment to care.
2: Yeah. I mean, tonight, we're really focused on World Diabetes Day and, uh Beringer-Ingelheim, along with our Alliance partner, Eli Lilly, who has a a huge legacy uh, in the cardiometabolic and diabetes space, Um, we've partnered uh, to come together to really elevate and transform the quality of care in diabetes, and uh, we're really proud um, to be working with you, and your mission of wellness with a wow really speaks to uh, the approach that we want to take as a partnership.
0: And so that's why we're going to make this huge announcement, which is that we're partnering together to present the first ever Diabetes and Cardiovascular Escape Room on Diabetes Alert Day, which is Tuesday, March 26th, in New York City next year. It's the first time we're kind of – gamifying the idea of learning more about diabetes and the link to cardiovascular disease, specifically around type 2 diabetes, and encouraging people not only to uh, seek out if they're living with diabetes or not, but to do a little bit more investigating like their favorite detective and look for the clues so they could keep their houses happy and healthy.
2: Uh, well, we're, and we're so proud to sponsor it, and it's, it's a needed conversation, You know, Max, I'm sure you would agree, but I find that, you know, every great disease story, usually there's some absurdity, right? And I'll tell you about there's an absurdity here, which is, you know, it's hard to believe that two out of three people living with type 2 diabetes are likely to die from a cardiovascular event like Luther, right? And his story inspires us because um, we know that most people who have type 2 diabetes aren't even aware of the risk, and therefore they're not having conversations with their physician about what they can do. So our goal is to partner with you and others to really have be a catalyst for life-changing conversations because if people are aware of the risk, they can do something about it.
0: I love it, and I just tell everyone, this is a real-life escape room experience, and it's really going to uh, be an opportunity to do problem-solving, to work together as a team to come up with solutions and escape the room, and also learn more, no, get more knowledge about what Graham was just talking about, that the fact that people with type 2 diabetes face twice the risk of heart disease and stroke, and there's something you could do about it. And it's, talking to your, it's learning how to talk to your doctor, what types of questions to ask, and to start doing some troubleshooting. And it's all happening on the one-day wake call that encourages further action through interactive gaming experience and that's going to be national diabetes alert day well graham i am beyond belief um, excited to have you be part of it it's going to be super hot oh no graham that's our hot seat question all year long we're putting our guests in the hot seat so if you don't mind can you please move over to that red velvet chair i know it's a little bit hot in here but you need to sit down for a second
2: I'm in it. It feels fantastic.
0: All right. Well, it's time to find out how much you know about World Diabetes Day. Let's All say, right. Bring it welcome on. Our, we're going to bring in our expert panel, which is one of the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. She's been working with us for seven years. Please welcome to the show Patricia Addie gentle from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, <laughs> you know, Patricia.
3: Hi, Matt.
0: Hi. Hi, yes, hi. hi. Are you ready with Are you ready, our expert judge? Here you go, Graham. Okay. Uh, this year, the theme is families and diabetes, but I thought it would be fun to talk about. So I thought I thought it would be fun to talk about women being in the family way. Uh, how common is it for uh, How common is gestational diabetes? Is it one in three births, one in five births, one in seven births, or one in ten births? How common I'm is gestational sp- diabetes?
2: One in seven.
0: Is that your final answer? <laughs> is, that my answer? is that your final answer? <laughs> yes. Patricia, what do you want to say? This is interesting.
3: Graham Graham just knocked it out of the uh, park for everybody tonight. (laughs) Yes, he did. He was wonderful with that answer. One in seven births worldwide are affected by gestational diabetes. Like other types of diabetes, it affects how your body uses sugar. And gestational diabetes does not always have obvious symptoms, but it can impact the pregnancy and the health of the baby approximately half the women with a history of gestational diabetes will go on to develop type 2 diabetes within 5 to 10 years of delivery. And so it's very important for those women to follow up with their doctors. And one of the key factors in helping to prevent the development of type 2 is for them to lose the weight and to um, get back to their pre-pregnancy size or what's normal for their body. But many women don't do the follow-up, and that's very important, and to keep abreast of what's going on with the body.
0: And, Graham, thank you for helping us get clued in about gestational diabetes. Uh, we're going to be together in March next year, cluing people in about the risk between cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight and helping me make that big announcement.
2: Thank you. Thanks for the partnership. We look forward to, uh, to uh, working together in March, and uh, Have a great night.
0: All right, well, we're going to keep going with a lot of diva inspiration. The Queen of Soul seemed to transcend many musical genres, and here's one way she did it so beautifully with her version of Sinead O'Connor's 1990 pop ballad entitled Nothing Compares to You, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen.
1: It's been seven hours and 15 days Since you took your love away out every night and sleep all day since you took your love away since you've been gone i can do whatever i want i can see whomever i
0: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Betic, and I'm just grooving out to the queen of soul, uh, Risa Franklin. Tonight we're celebrating World Diabetes Day with a dazzling array of guests, but before I introduce my next guest, I want to remind you to join me tomorrow at the annual Victory Over Diabetes Expo in Philadelphia. That's right, November 15th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'll be at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital welcoming all the divas and dudes. It's free and fabulous, and you can find out more about this fun program at org. Now it's time to welcome the mistress, uh, the mistress of the pen. Uh, <laughs> she's one of my favorite guests and one of our co-stars. She also narrated our mystery podcast earlier this year. Welcome back to the show, Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine.
4: Hi Max. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight and helping us celebrate World Diabetes Day.
4: Oh, thank you for having me. And I did not know all of that uh, about your father. I'm very uh, impressed and glad that you had him in your life uh, to be such a help to you. That was a wonderful tribute. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and that's important. To talk. I mean, we're talking about family and diabetes tonight because that is the theme of World Diabetes Day. Weren't you a little surprised by this just? the statistic that two in three people uh, wouldn't know how to care for a member with living with diabetes, a family member living with diabetes, according to the International Diabetes Federation?
4: You know, I, I think that's uh, something that we obviously need to, to work on, and I'm, I'm so glad that you have these podcasts because I think it does help to enlighten people, not just people with diabetes, but people who, uh, who love them and, and have them in their lives. Um, I, I'm not sure that I'm really surprised because I know a lot of people who still, if I'm having a low blood sugar, will ask me if I need insulin or if I'm having a high blood sugar, you know, think that that means I need to eat something. I think a lot of people still don't understand it. So I think education is so important, and that's why uh, these podcasts um, are, are so important to the whole community. And I, I think And it's how do wonderful you deal that with you,
0: that, though? I mean, because you've been de- uh, living with diabetes for a while now. So how do you deal with these kind of, like, common myths and misconceptions? Are you someone who uh, takes a minute to educate people? Do you kind of roll your eyes and walk off? Or do you get a little bit, like, uh, angry? I'm just curious. How do you deal with that?
4: I think all of the above. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I guess it depends on... The circumstances and the timing and who the person is. I, you know, I, sometimes I get very frustrated about it. Sometimes I just think that that's a teachable moment. You know, that um, everybody knows somebody who has diabetes, and so it is important to use those opportunities to educate people as as much as you can and as often as you can. So, yeah, you know, I've been frustrated, of course. I've been angry, of course. I've been um, sad, I've been a lot of things but I think at the end of the day it, it really is important to, um, to educate people and, and not to be angry about it people just don't know any better and, and they need to have the information
0: Alright, well in celebration of the uh, World Diabetes Day and talking about f- uh, family and people who help us or lift us up, who do you want to give a shout out to who's part of your entourage for helping you stay happy and healthy?
4: You know, I just, I'll just i just answer that by telling a really quick story. Many years ago when I was still working, um, I had to do a, a presentation, a speech in front of a large group of people. And it was about 12 o'clock, 12.30 in the afternoon, and I really hadn't eaten anything. And I just happened to casually mention to somebody that was standing next to me that I think I need to eat something. And before I knew it, there were about 10 or 12 people coming at me with orange juice and and uh fruit and things that they knew that I that I could have and that I should have. And I I thought that was just a wonderful uh moment for me because it it really it really made me feel supported and acknowledged and not at all judged and uh you know, people really wanted genuinely to be helpful, I did work in a healthcare environment, so people might have been a little bit more um, aware and educated than other people. But I just thought it was a wonderful moment for me that all of those people that were in that room were part of my entourage, you know, and part of the support system that I needed every day. So um, I just want to give everybody who was there that day a shout out, and they know who they are.
0: I love it. All right, now before you read your poem, because we have an original poem for us tonight. You know, uh, one of the secrets of this podcast is not only just cheering people on; sometimes it's cheers and tears and talking about all the emotions. And you really have been someone who's pushed us to kind of cover all to cover all these different emotions that people have or are experiencing who are living with diabetes. And earlier this week, one of our community members, uh, Jessica from Cincinnati, put out a blog where she really talked open and honestly about some of the raw emotions she goes through every day living with type 1 diabetes. I'm curious to get your comments on that before you share your poem tonight.
4: I thought it was spot on. Um, I thought it was a wonderful and courageous uh, um, thing to say. Um, As you know, Max, uh, I am in the process of writing a book that is going to talk about my experiences as a type one diabetic for over 35 years. And um, many of the things uh, that she mentioned where I, I, I would venture to say, all of the things that she mentioned were things that I talk about in in my book: the feelings, the experiences, the reactions from other people, the the the, the sometimes anger and sadness and fear and frustration and all the things that we feel that we don't always talk about, uh, even to ourselves. We we don't even sometimes admit those things to ourselves. So I, I applaud her. I think it was wonderful. It was very courageous and. Um, timely, and I wish that more people would allow people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, to be more um, forthcoming with their feelings, their true feelings and emotions because it's, it's important to be heard.
0: I think so, too. And coming up, we'll be talking to the diabetes psych, Dr. Wendy Staten Rappaport, a little bit more about that. But first, Lorraine, let's get some World Diabetes uh, Day inspiration.
4: So it is World Diabetes Day, so the title of my poem tonight is The World is Ours Today. The world gives us a day, but for us it's every day. Diabetes affects us all in each and every way. The world has not a clue. The world assesses you. Diabetes makes our world feel sad and lonely, too. The world says this and that. The world tells us we're fat. We know they don't know exactly what they're looking at. The world can't understand the needs and the demands, the pains and stress that diabetics often do withstand. But our worlds are all right. We keep our numbers tight. And in our world, we stay prepared in case we have to fight. Our world is very real, so listen to how we feel. We aren't trying to be perfect or ideal. Our world has ups and downs, a lot of smiles and frowns. We do have setbacks, big and small, but we do rebound. On World Diabetes Day, Our worlds are bright and gay. We thank the world for taking time to help us be okay. But please make sure that you're a help to us, for sure. And stick by us not just one day, but till there is a cure.
0: Nice job, Lorraine. Always a thrill to have you you, on the show. And and we're looking forward to reading your uh, new book of poetry. Oh, but Uh before we do, I guess it's time to take a hot seat, Lorraine Brooks, if you don't mind. Can you move over to that red velvet chair?
4: Absolutely. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you. Does it it massage?
0: (laughs) You'll have to ask Patricia because she's the one who drove the fire truck into the studio. Patricia, are you there?
3: I am here. (laughs) Oh,
0: gosh. All right. Well, next time, can you choose a smaller truck when we do this? All right. So,
3: uh, Lorraine,
0: (laughs) your hot seat question today also has to deal with how much do you know about World Diabetes Day? Okay. The theme for last year's World Diabetes Day was women in diabetes are right to a healthy uh, future. According to last year's statistics, how many women in the world are living with diabetes? Is it one in two? 1 in 5, 1 in 10 or 1 in 20. Lorraine Brooks, what is your hot seat question answer tonight?
4: How many, how many women what? worldwide?
0: Yes. How many how many women in the world are living with diabetes? Is it 1 in 2, 1 in 5, 1 in 10, 1 in 20?
4: Wow. I, I'm going to say 1 in I'm going to say 1 in 5.
0: Is that your final answer?
3: Yes. Uh-oh. Patricia,
4: let's
3: go the to the answer, The answer is 1 in 10.
5: So sorry that
3: you overestimated that one, but it is still quite significant that 1 in 10 women are living with diabetes. That's over 199 million women worldwide. Interesting to note, according to International Diabetes Federation report, that China, India, and the United States top that list for most of the cases of diabetes per country. And there are around 24.4 million Americans who had diabetes in in, uh, 2013, but the islands in the Pacific have the most alarming rates and prevalence. So the numbers of diabetes compare with the country's population overall.
0: Wow, that's Thank a you. lot of divas. And um, Lorraine, there's a lot of divas yeah. that Aretha Franklin covers on this new album, which I hope you're enjoying tonight, because our diva inspiration, to take on one of, the, uh, one of the divas who says, she's simple, she's complex, she's generous, she's selfish, she's unattractive, she's beautiful, and she's driven. Well, that seems to be a fairly accurate description of someone who hotel staffs around the world considered to have to work overtime to get preparations preparations ready for her arrival. Who could it be? It's Aretha Franklin's cover of Barbra Streisand's classic, People, courtesy of Sony Music. Thanks, Lorraine, for being a part of the show tonight. Let's listen. Thank
4: you, Max.
1: People.
0: Diabetic. Coming up, we're going to get our diva on and find out some of the hottest tips in fall makeup and skincare trends with the CEO of Beauty Phonics. But right now, we're going to concentrate on the fact that according to new research. Our friendships can help prevent type 2 diabetes. In a study of nearly 3,000 middle-aged elderly people in the Netherlands, researchers found that people who had a social network of between 10 and 12 people were less likely to develop type 2 diabetes than those who only had 7 or 8 close friends. That's still a good bridge tournament, though, I think. I just want to add that. So how does friendship impact the lives of people living with type 1 diabetes? Well, joining me to talk about this inciting topic I'm so excited to have her on the show. It's her first time guest. Is my next guest. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and an adjunct professor of medicine at the Diabetes Research Institute of the University of Miami. And she just co-authored a new book called Friendship Matters: A Memoir of Life Lessons and Laughter with her real life lifelong friend, Dr. Sandra Neshin Bernstein. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Wendy Satin Rapaport. Hello, Dr. Wendy. <laughs>
6: Oh, I love that you clap before I speak.
0: Of of course, we always—that's our studio audience. And thank you for dressing up tonight. You look fabulous in your your blue uh, Diane von Furstenberg wraparound dress.
6: (laughs) Oh, you got me right. (laughs) By the way, am I allowed to refuse the hot seat if I have to?
0: Can you? Are you? Excuse me.
6: Am I allowed to refuse being on the hot seat?
0: Absolutely. Just in case that bell rings. You're, you're gonna. You're, if Patricia wants to drive the fire truck into the studio, you're gonna have to do it one way or the other. It's totally up to her. She's probably sitting behind the wheel right now, wondering when she should do it.
1: Oh <laughs> la la!
0: Thank you, Patricia. But let's focus on this for right now because this is an interesting statistic about the idea that friendship could uh, help reduce someone's. Uh, chances of developing type 2 diabetes. And I'm curious to get your feeling on that and then also how diabetes, how friendships might affect someone
6: living with type 1 diabetes. Yes, or type 2, for sure. Yes, I think that friendships, the impact of social relationships, comfort, I mean, it doesn't just reduce diabetes or getting it, or it's also how you handle it. It also is related, by the way, to reducing heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. Because the loneliness, is what gets us. We make poor choices when we're alone. And also what happens to our immune system, we are boosted by friendships, by people who care about us, that we can share our vulnerabilities. And certainly when you have diabetes, there are many vulnerabilities. Um, and friendships keep us from being having shame. They help us rework our feelings to pride. They also help us get better habits. You know, the likelihood of meeting a friend to go for a walk, means that you will take the walk as opposed to if you feel like taking a walk. So friends can be very much a part of, you know, the things that we do well in life or that we'll eat better if we eat with a friend as opposed to when we're home and we just stand in front of the refrigerator. So it's feelings and also habits I think that friendships make a difference for.
0: But it could be difficult at times, right, because, you know, we treat, we talk to a lot of people living with diabetes on this podcast and at our shows and um, outreach events, I should say, and a lot of times people don't uh, say they're more than just their diabetes. They don't want to be a, everyone just talking about their diabetes. So, you know, <clears throat> someone's listening to the show tonight might be hearing what you just said and be thinking about how to talk to their friend, but also apprehensive because maybe they don't want their diabetes to now overshadow
6: who they are. Can you speak to that? Yes, I actually did a, a, a little um, blog that, you know, that shows me saying, I'm a person, I'm a person, I'm a person with diabetes. And so that's the part to really underscore. There are times in your life when you want someone to help you. When I first married my husband 30 years ago and he has diabetes, he thought it was adorable that I took food off his plate so he wouldn't eat it. Well, you better believe that a year later he did not find that adorable. So I think, you know, the help that we want, sometimes it's our mood. And so when people say to you, should you be eating that, which is probably the most offending question, if we can positively reframe it to, I love that you care about me. I love that you're interested in me. Mind your own business. So actually, that's not so good, the last part. But the first part has to happen. You know, thank you for being interested in me. Yes, I can eat that. And I tell people, you know, just get cards printed that say, go to www.diabetes or to find out what the new rules are about diabetes. So, I mean, I think you have to have a sense of humor because sometimes you want to help. But, you know, it's not just diabetes. Anytime people want to help you, you know, you may want the help, and so you say, Thank you so much. You have a minute. I'd like to help. You know, I've got some questions. Or you say, Thank you so much. Now is not a good time. We have to have good boundaries, and we want our friends, you know, not to be afraid to ask us. And we have to tell them, you know, what we want from them. And it can change over time. So, you know, one of the things that I that I say to people when they get diabetes is get your humor back, you know, because you. All the times that people say to you, are you okay, you have diabetes, are you okay, you've got to think about how to answer those questions in a humorous way. If kids will, will say to me, like, what if somebody says to me, is, is it contagious? Your answer should be, you know, it is if I don't like you. You're supposed <laughs> to be laughing. Now.
1: Thank I, you. I'm a I, 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 You're uh, too white <laughs>
0: I was so in- investigating this conversation, but no, I was. I love that. I, I mean, I love your sense of humor, and I love the passion that comes out across the airwaves when I talk to you. And I know that um, we're both on the same team or preaching to the choir, but this emotional side of living with diabetes is obviously something that is often overlooked and not spoken about. And you really are an advocate that when people are first diagnosed, they should have a psychologist in their, on their team. That should be like the first person they see. Talk a little bit to that.
6: Well, and by the way, not just, you know, for the person. I mean, the, the first book I wrote was called When Diabetes Hits Home, The Whole Family's Guide to Living Well with Diabetes. Because I do think it is your family's affair. And everybody's got feelings about it and an interest in you. So it really matters, that part. But, you see, the first part of diabetes is is that you are grieving over the the diagnosis. What does it mean to you? Now, some people are not interested in grieving right away, and they just get busy handling it. Um, And other people just can't get themselves to do it. But regardless, it's that, like, why me? Why did this happen? This is not fair. You have to go through this process. And sometimes kids may not want to do it with their parents or adults may not want to do it with a spouse or partner because they think the other person will remain depressed. That's the beauty of a coach or a psychologist because they are there to be present for you, not judge you, not talk you out of your feelings, but really present to hear them because the biggest thing to know is that feelings pass, you know, and can you have a place that you can have them. So I feel... Like you know, the other skill, besides the breathing, is how to make choices, you know, and how we handle the day. So for example, you could get up and test your blood sugar and it says three hundred. What you so the self-talk, what you say to yourself at that moment could be, forget this, no matter what I do, it goes up, I was really good, I didn't eat anything. Um, I don't know why this is I'm not testing all day. Or you could have a few curse words and then you could say, You know, it's frustrating, but I am not my number. And the good news is that I will get this number down, and I can't wait to see what it is at 12 o'clock because I'm going to take my shot or use my pump, and I'm going to take a walk, and I can't wait to see it go down. What a good feeling I'm going to have. Those two things are very different. The first one will make you a depressed person with diabetes. The second will make you a happy person with more well-controlled diabetes, which will, of course, make you a happier person. Because we all feel better when our when the diabetes is in control.
0: I agree, and count- I would just think that um, I know in your book, Friendship Matters, which we're going to be giving away tonight, uh, free copies. You mention about you you talk about the term emotional literacy, and I'm just curious, like how emotional, how what that term means, and how it applies to a marriage where one of the spouses is living with diabetes? Because it does seem like it could be the thing between you and your partner on so many levels, not just across the table, but sometimes in bed. You know, how do you, how do you talk about emotion? What is emotional literacy? And how do we, how, do you, how does that relate to couples?
6: Okay, um, well, first of all, I do think that if you didn't have diabetes, emotional literacy matters. we are so bent up on the other literacy. And so, for example, you know, like I'll say to people, you know, you're you're out with your spouse or partner, you know, and you've had, you know, a really big dinner. Your blood sugar goes up. And, you know, you're a little depressed, a little bit irritable, a little annoyed. You're a little sleepy. And so your partner who doesn't have diabetes said, says to you, like, what is it with you? You know, like, you know that this is our chance to have an intimate night, a romantic night, a close night. And now you've overeaten. What is it with you? You know, and that person feels angry and you have to feel bad about your diabetes, no. You have to learn how to identify, be very self-aware. My wife is disappointed. I'm disappointed, too. That's the self-awareness. And you could be very defensive and say, well, listen, look at you. You gained 10 pounds. I mean, so you regulate. You can't sound that feeling of being criticized. And you, because you've got awareness, and now you're going to regulate that anger because you're going to have compassion for your partner. You're going to have empathy for yourself, and you're going to have empathy for your partner. And realize how hard she tries all the time, to, like make you share a meal or whatever. So at that point, with that awareness, with that regulation, with that compassion, your answer is going to be, you know what? Thank you for telling me. I'm disappointed, too. Let's go for a walk because... I want to get my blood sugars down and you're the best partner I have. You know, you're so wonderful to me to care about me and you're very good partner. That's not why my blood sugar is high. I you figure out, you know what I'm saying? Like what is it that the person's angry about you? Now in that scenario that I just gave, the person is really working way too hard, but the aware, it's, it's so literacy is the awareness of what you feel, the awareness of what another person might be feeling and how not to react with anger or perhaps shame or like, gee, I'm no good at this either. You don't want to do that either. You want to be empath- empathic to them and empathic to you. It, it just seems to me like how on earth can you have a diabetes or how on earth can you have be a person if you don't have that skill?
0: I love it. All right, I'm going to ask you, because I see Patricia waving to me in the truck. Do you want to play the hot seat question or would you rather not?
6: I'll do it, but ignorance is, is something I'll use on the
0: all right, well, for- step over to the Red Sea. We'll we'll hold your hand because that was a great conversation. I hope everyone listening not only goes to the Diabetes Psych's website, but they check out her new book, Friendship Matters, which she'll be giving away a little bit later on the podcast in our Teach Me Tonight Insulin Challenge. But right now it's time to find out how much you know about World Diabetes Day. All right, Dr. Wendy. We, thank you, by the way, for helping us raise awareness for World Diabetes and the history of diabetes. I think when you want to know more about the disease, you have to kind of know your history. So the United States president was the first to pass a proclamation recognizing November as Diabetes Awareness Month. And there's a hint here. You're not going to find this information in sure. People Magazine. Is it Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, or Barack Obama? For an autographed copy of Friendship Matters, which which U.S. president was the first to pass a proclamation (laughs) recognizing November as Diabetes Awareness Month?
6: Who's your guess? Woodrow Wilson? I would like to have thought it was Woodrow Wilson because that would have been so long ago, but I'm kind of guessing... Let's see Ronald Reagan probably did do some thoughtful things about mental health, but I'll say it's Barack Obama just because I like him a lot.
0: <laughs> Wait, let's, <laughs> bring in, let's bring in Patricia.
3: You were so cl- <laughs> was you close. Was she close, Patricia? She was very close, and she should have gone with her first instinct, uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> But according to the American Diabetes Association, or the ADA, the month um, of November was actually established 40 years ago in 1975, and the first U.S. president to recognize November as Diabetes Month was Ronald Reagan several years later. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So you, you learn thank something you. new every day. We're all
0: learning. We're all. Yes. Isn't that a secret to staying young and healthy and being happy? Is just constantly curious, constantly learning. So uh, thank you for playing along with us tonight. And you know, Doctor yes. w- Wendy, thank you so much because we're going to be giving away Friendship Matters, your new book, to one lucky listener on the show tonight who correctly answers the question. Which animal was insulin first tested on during our Insulin IQ IQ Challenge? We posted this question on our Facebook page earlier last week, so you're going to want to stick around for that and help us educate and empower one of our listeners. In the meantime, it's time for more Diva Music. Is Beyonce a diva? Well, a, supposedly, a supposed tour writer that was published and read it said that Beyonce's diva demands was leaked, saying that Mrs. Carter is very particular about what she wants while she's performing. Hmm. She insists on having alkaline water, and it must be chilled to 21 degrees. And also she wants it served with a $900 titanium straw. And I'm sorry we don't have those in the green room for people tonight because we're out on tour with Mrs. Carter. I'm still scratching my head about that, wondering how a straw could cost $900. But while I do that, why don't we play a snippet of Aretha Franklin's version of the Destiny Child classic, Survivor, courtesy
1: of Sony Music. I'm a survivor.
0: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, And sometimes facing diabetes is literally putting your face on. So tonight we're celebrating Diabetes Day Diva style with talking about uh, the world of makeup and skincare with my next mm-hmm. guest, who's going to break down some of the most common makeup and skincare questions as well as identify some of the hottest trends. For fall 2018, please welcome to the show the two-time Emmy-nominated makeup artist oh and beauty God. products CEO, Sue Perez. Hi, Sue. Hi. Two-time Emmy Award winner. Yes. That's phenomenal. I love it. Thank
7: that. you. Thank you so, so that, much. Yeah, it's been exciting. It must have been
0: quite an honor.
7: It is when you do what you love to do and you get nominated by your peers. Um, It's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Well, I'm curious what you thought of this honor. Recently, Charlotte uh, Tilbury was just made honored with the most excellent order of the British Empire by the queen herself, (laughs) Queen Elizabeth. Wow. Her makeup, she does Amal Clooney's makeup. She also does Kate Moss, Nicole Kidman. She's working in the industry for over 30 years, and she most recently Mm -hmm. did the makeup on Victoria's Secret Secret Fashion Mm -hmm. Show. Uh, Makeup is really changing, right? When you see people winning awards like this, you know that makeup artists are really being recognized for their artistry.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a trend probably for the past 20 years that makeup artists have become sort of like a their own famous person. You know, when, when you work with a famous uh, celebrity or you work in television, um, that's how you can get your name out there. And I think in her case, she did a lot of high fashion and a lot of editorial. Uh, I work in the television industry. Um, I'm union, so I do um, a lot of uh, news and I also do some film. But um, I think that women still need very much to hear from a real expert. I mean, we, we always have the Internet, and there's a lot, of, a lot of information on YouTube. But you really want to trust somebody that knows what they're doing, and you want to find out what kind of background do they have, are they licensed, how long they've been in the business. So it's always, I think, a trend. I think women always want to look for something new and something exciting. And I think makeup is the fastest way that that anyone can do that. You know, a lot of women who maybe don't have money to buy a new pair of shoes, they have that money to buy at least a new lipstick. So it does make a huge impact.
0: Well, and I would, I, I'm I dying, I'm dying to get a little dishy before we go into the trends and talk about, uh, you know, we, we all watch the news every day now. Well, a lot of us do. <laughs> and we mm-hmm. watch multiple channels. It's and I think it's about these women on TV every day, like they're supposed to be beautiful, but they're not really supposed to be beautiful, right, because we're focused on what they're saying. So I'm curious, like, are there any kind of general rules for anchors and reporters on air and how you, how you approach them as far as doing their makeup?
7: You know, that's a really great question, Max. I think that there definitely is a standard. And when I was hired, um, you know, I was hired because of my credentials and my portfolio. But there is a certain technique we do for HD, and now we have 4K, which means that the technology is even better on television. So I work with an airbrush when I do foundation, which is a compressor that blows air through a, through like a stainless steel gun, and the foundation gets sprayed on um, there's a lot of uh, contouring that gets done on camera. Um, I mean, it is magic. A lot of what we do behind behind the camera is completely transformational. Um, when you have a woman that maybe has a lot of sun damage or she maybe doesn't have enough eyelashes and we work with strip lashes or the hairstylist comes in and works with, you know, hair, you know, bangs or like extensions. So it is a, it is a lot of work that we do. Um, I think the trend for an anchor on television is to look polished but depending on the network you're watching some of it can be very dramatic and very glamorous and i think most women today in television they want to look as beautiful as possible as gorgeous as possible and depending on the show you're working on if you're doing straight local news it might be clean and linear in that sense but if you're working on an entertainment show um the the makeup and hair can get very um i would say more more uh just a lot more, more hair, more makeup. They want a lot more, like jewelry, accessories. The clothing can change. They're wearing different, like designer clothes. So it is, it is, um, it's definitely transformed. I think that what I do now in TV is it's definitely glamorous. It's nothing like just basic makeup. No, definitely a lot more um, involved.
0: All right, well, at the end of the segment, we're going to talk about uh, Rachel Maddow and her concealer because I, I'm okay. curious to get your feelings on that, but right, not, not right now. <laughs> we're going to tell everyone first that you've been fe- featured in Latina Magazine, Bride Magazine, Bloomingdale's Fashion Magazine uh, for editorial yeah. content, and also you're a makeup artist for uh, NBC Universal. So we thought you're the perfect person to look at these makeup <laughs> trends for fall 2008 and tell us if you think they're whack or okay. if you think they're wow.
7: Ooh-la-la. Ooh-la-la. La. Oh, thank, thank you, Patricia. That's my studio audience. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> so
0: heavy black, thick eyeliner with wings and graphic shapes. Is this whack or wow?
7: <laughs> it depends on the situation. <laughs> I think I if you that. If you really like black liner and you like a winged liner it every woman can wear a little winged eyeliner if it's done to her to her style um when it gets intricate with glitter and graphics and you know i think that's i would leave that for the editorial magazine high fashion runway show but for every woman i think that there's a definite approach to doing her makeup and i treat each woman as a as a as an individual so I think when it comes to trends, I think that they're there to inspire us, but we're not necessarily supposed to follow them exactly. They don't work for everybody.
0: Well, I'm curious because I, I think like someone like Adele wears a black, thick eyeliner, but because we're divabetic, we're looking at Suzanne Sugarbaker, Delta Burke, who has battled weight gain, depression, and is living with type 2 diabetes. She really does seem to have that kind of eye that would play to a big, thick, black mm-hmm. eyeliner. Is that true or false?
1: Mm-hmm.
7: I haven't seen a recent picture of her, so I don't know what she looks like right now, but I think if she Yeah, go back to Suzanne Sugarbaker days. (laughs) Let me Google her really quick. I remember that she was fabulous and she had a lot of style and class. I think if, you know, listen, there's no real rules in makeup. If you feel confident and you want to wear it and you work with a professional to show you how to apply those lashes, and I say put on those lashes and work it. You know, I don't think that women should shy away from makeup. I think it's just a very... Uh, personal thing. And, and no one should tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Um, it's it's what makes you feel good. And if you know, listen, I, I dress up, I have I have date night, I'll go out and, you know, dress up and look fabulous. It just depends on what I'm doing. Um, but definitely, I think lashes and liner are great. Everyone should have lashes and liner on everybody.
0: All right, well, how about eye glitter, we're talking rhinestones, gems, sequins, and the new sparkly stuff that adheres to eyelids and around the eyes with a lash glue. Is that whack or wow?
7: I'm not a fan only because it's really hard to remove when you wear glitter. <laughs> it's one of those unfortunate, you know, uh, it's like a by-product of the, of, of the product itself. So I'm, I'm not a fan. I think when I've done it, it's been for like a photo shoot, um, maybe i know that there's a lot of products now women can can buy and it's easier to apply and it makes it stay on it's a lot of fun i think if you are careful too you don't want to get it in your eye um it's if it's a loose glitter there's some products that you can buy now that are metallic that are gel based that go on with a brush and it's are easier to control um i'm not a fan of like gems and you know stick on stuff i just think that you know you want to you want to play to your strengths when when it comes to beauty. You know, you want to look at yourself and, and you want to get inspired. And sure, it's great if you want to fake, you have a little mole. You want to put a little liner there, make it look like you have a little cheeky mole. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that women. Okay, so how would you apply it
0: in? to Halle Berry, who was diagnosed with type one diabetes at age 22 after becoming ill? She has, she was in the hospital for quite a while, and now it looks like it was actually type two diabetes all along. Oh, so how no. do you think you'd apply glitter to Halle Berry, one of our favorite diabetics?
7: Well, she's so gorgeous and so like ethereal and timeless. I mean, you know, her skin is fabulous. I think I would do like. Um, really clean makeup like her, her her skin would just be glowy and i would just make her like her lip would be really soft you know and just like a nude lip uh with a little shine maybe but really subtle and then the cheeks would just be like bronzer and then just play up the eyes with glitter on her it would just be about the eyes and i would just do either like a color metallic color like her eyes are brown so maybe blue would be so beautiful and on her eyes with with glitter i think that would look stunning Blue eyes, I mean, um, the eye color, when it comes to picking out the eye shades, you want to contrast, you want to do, what you want to do is you want to, you want to contrast the eye, right? So if you are blue eyed, you don't want to wear blue eye shadow um, because it doesn't give you that, like, really nice contrast. So for a blue eye, I think the pink colors, the rose colors are really pretty on blue eyes. The charcoal grays look really nice on a blue eye. And what they do is they make the eye pop. On a hazel eye, and hazel eye can do like the mauve colors. Uh, green eye is very similar. Green eye looks really nice when they do violets or purples. And if your eyes are brown, then you're blessed because you can pretty much do any color. But the best color for, I think, a dark brown or brown eye is navy, um, or like a chocolate navy, uh, uh, like like a chocolate brown. But I love red browns on a brown eye, and I love navy blues on a brown eye. But yeah, Halle Berry is just one of those. Stunning, gorgeous women. She can't. She can't mess up anything, right? <laughs> I mean, even when you see pictures oh, of her. Where she's
0: All right. Here's so your last trend. Here's your last trend. Okay. Um, it's from nightclub comedian Judy Fields, who joked about her obesity and was stru- and her struggles with it after um, resuming her career after having an amputation on both of her legs before she died um, of complications okay. with type two diabetes at the age of 48 in 1978. Judy Fields was known for her retro clumpy eyelashes. So, is that coming back?
7: I don't think clumpy eyelashes will ever make a comeback. I'm sorry, Max. So, that's a. No. (laughs) No. Thanks, Patricia. I think I think that being a fabulous diva means that you are excited about your own identity and how you want to share your, your talent with the world, and when you wear your makeup and you do your hair, it's about feeling fabulous, and you want to bring out the best of what you have and how you look, and, and it's in your attitude. So it's all about I think the trend for fall is, like, get a beautiful hat that has a great color, like red or something fun. I've been wearing, like, a cream-colored beret with a matching scarf. But find something that you really like in your accessories and wear a nice, strong lip. And just keep your makeup neutral, keep your skin hydrated, dewy, do your brows, make sure they're nice and shaped, and do beautiful lashes. If you don't have a lot of lashes, that's okay. You can use mascara, you can buy some throwaway lashes, and wear some eyelashes, and just feel beautiful.
0: All right, and finally, we have a question in our uh, for some of the common makeup questions, myths, and um, misconceptions. We're going to do one of them. I'm going to pull okay. Cynthia. Lake Ontario I guess that's up in Canada it could be Rochester New York where I'm from but Cynthia wrote in how often do I have to clean my makeup brushes Du Perez
7: that's a great question Cynthia um you want to wash makeup brushes at least once a month um you know just because when you're using products like a like gel or concealer um you know anything you're using it holds on to bacteria and more, more so with, with cream products than powder. But you still want to wash your, your powder brushes if they get dirty. And you, if you're mixing colors together, you want to keep that separate. So I wash all my makeup brushes. I don't go crazy buying anything expensive. You can use some um, mild, you know, hair shampoo um, and just, you know, because it's natural hair. Unless they're synthetic, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, wash them with some, you know, um, soap and then rinse them out and squeeze out the excess water, let them dry flat, but leave the heads of the brushes where the hair is at the edge of the table, like off of the counter so that they're not sitting on a towel and stay damp. You want to let that air dry and then check them. And I I just, I would, you know, just, you want to just soften them with your hand, just like, you know, you want to rub out the water that's there and just make sure that they dry air dry. And, um, that's it. I think that, you know, I, it's great to have a set of brushes. You don't have to go crazy with a lot of brushes. I, I'm, I just wrote a book where I talk about what a woman needs. It's the essential products. It's not a lot. I make it very simple and easy to understand. But, um, you know, brushes are going to make a huge difference in how that makeup gets applied.
0: All right. Well, you, want to, you might want to hold on to those brushes for a second because <laughs> – you got a smaller truck. Thank you, Patricia. It's tr- she's over there in a smaller tr- truck for your hot seat question, Sue Perez, <laughs> CEO of Beauty Phonics. Let's find out how much you know about World Diabetes Day. Okay. One of the myths okay. we didn't, one of the trends we didn't talk about was blue eyeshadow. But I don't know if you know oh. this, but the real symbol, uh, the universal symbol for diabetes is a blue circle. We all know the circle stands for unity. But what does the color blue represent, Sue Perez? Is it the ocean, the sky, or the color of the blood in our body, which turns bright red when oxygen binds it to iron? What (laughs) does the the color blue stand for in the symbol for World Diabetes Day?
7: Oh, my God,
1: the sky. (laughs) Is that your final answer? (laughs) Yeah, the sky, gorgeous. (laughs) <laughs>
3: oh, Patricia, what do you want to say? Beautiful, beautiful. That is the correct answer. The blue wow, hue,
8: awesome. blue hue
3: <laughs> is meant to evoke the color of the sky. Universally, we all, no matter what part of the world we're in, there is sky. And that unity yeah. is worldwide. So the blue symbol, the circle, and the blue color is officially known to unite diabetes. Oh, all right, so, so, Graham, I'm so glad Graham and, I, I and, and Sue correct.
0: have two, and Dr. Wendy and <laughs> Lo, Lor, uh, Lorraine have zero, Lorraine. Uh, just if you're keeping yes. it. Well, superez thank you so much for being part of the show. Oh,
7: my goodness, You know, goodness, makeup Max, is all
0: about who, so runs, who, who rules the world. It's girls. Mm-hmm. And our next song we're playing for you because here's a sip, snippet. Of a song first recorded by Otis Redding that Aretha Franklin made her own, transforming it into what has become an anthem for the civil rights movement as well as the women's movement. Here's "Respect," courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Thank you. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I was just up and grooving. It's your host, Mr. Diva Betic. Tonight we're celebrating World diabetes, D- World diabetes Day Diva style with two hours of a podcast. And uh, I'm so excited to tell you that November 14th is a significant date on the diabetes calendar because it marks the birth date of the man who co-discovered insulin, Frederick Banting. Banting discovered insulin in, 2000, I mean in 1922 alongside Charles Best now to talk a little bit about the rising cost of insulin as well as Aretha Franklin and her health issues divastyle, we're gonna to talk to our firefighter tonight, Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi Patricia. Hi guys. You know, we this is a big day for people. Uh worldwide talking about diabetes and it's important to recognize why we chose November 14th, but the insulin prices have reportedly tripled over the past decade, decade. and I know there's a lot of people out there who really struggle to, to stay alive, and I'm just curious because this is a very complicated question about why insulin uh, costs keeps escalating, what your thoughts are on that?
3: And it is true that the prices are Uh, really astronomical outrageous for some people and the um, insulin is necessary it's a necessary medication especially for those with type 1 diabetes there is no alternative and so it's, it's the lifeline and it has to be some affordable way for our patients and those who are diagnosed with diabetes to afford their insulin But the core of the problem is it's just difficult to change it because the health insiders say it isn't fair or accurate to say that Big Pharma has raised the price of insulin out of greed, but instead to compensate for the amount that it takes by the negotiators in the middle, and that's the payers. So we're looking at our insurance groups. Um, I know a lot of the people that I have worked with, in order to afford their insulin, it's actually uh, easier to go and not even say you have insurance at times when you when you show up at the pharmacy. And the group that I worked with where we were able to help people to afford insulin, um, it was for those who were uninsured. And for us, the prices were more affordable than it was to make those copayments through the insurance sometimes
0: and and Strange, yeah, this but is a, it's true right and we're going to talk a little bit later about standing up for affordable insulin and in the ADA petition that people are urged to sign uh because it is such an important thing and I think if we're going to rally around today And it's Sir Frederick Banting's birthday, and he did not accept payment for the discovery of insulin. I think, really, anyone listening should take a minute to sign that petition because it's just awful for me to think that there's someone out there who wants to take care of themselves and there's an obstacle stopping them from getting the insulin they need. I just doesn't make sense to me personally, but, uh, you know, I I know it is a complicated issue, so thank you for talking a little bit about that. I also just want to take a minute before we get into the next part of the show with some fabulous divas coming up. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Aretha Franklin. We all miss her, that tribute. Um, You know, her memorial service was incredible. So many people came out, and when you really saw the – vastness of her career and how, how active she had been for so long and how many monumental moments in history she participated in and lended her voice to. It's incredible. But there is a little bit of confusion around her death and this link between pancreatic cancer and diabetes. She she did admit in several interviews she was living with type 2 diabetes. She didn't talk about it often. And a lot of the papers, um, Reported, which I've been told through Twitter incorrectly, that she had pancreatic cancer, which she did not. But tomorrow is World Pancreatic Cancer Day, and there is a link between the two. Is there not? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Uh, there is a link, um, and, and and I have seen, I have seen a correlation with the patients that I work with when I have someone who is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer quite often they also have diabetes. Um, However, uh, the the information that I have found, it says that the pancreas, the the diabetes does not cause pancreatic cancer, but there is an extra risk when you do have diabetes, but it's definitely not the cause, and we have not really discovered and narrowed down exactly what that cause is.
0: So there's still but a lot of often questions out there. see them hand it's like, in hand. Yeah, and there's still a lot of questions out there about the rising cost of insulin. But there's no question on what makes a, diff, a diva, and certainly music critics claim that our next diva was a different kind of diva. She had rough edges that helped formulate who she was and how she contradicted the traditional sense of the term. Most divas like Barbara Streisand or even Mariah Carey base a lot of their reputations on their presence. But our next diva, Edda James, based her reputation on her life. We're going to listen to Aretha Franklin's version of At Last from her album. Aretha Franklin sings the great diva classics uh, courtesy of Sony Music. And then we're going to meet a fabulous diva living with type 1 diabetes who claims to be diabetes strong. Let's listen. All right, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we're celebrating World Diabetes Day with a dazzling array of guests. According to new research, sitting for long periods of time is hazardous to your health just as much as smoking is. Research shows that you can reduce your chances of cancer, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and back pain by doing one simple lifestyle change. Reduce the time you spend sitting. But how do you stay active and still manage your blood sugars? Well, my next guest and her husband, Tamias, created Diabetes Strong, a website to encourage others living with diabetes to combine an active lifestyle with great diabetes management. Let's say hello to Crystal. Hello, Crystal Orium. Hello. How are you?
1: Hi. I'm great. Thank you for joining our
0: all-star diva celebration of World uh, Diabetes Day. We're glad to have you on the show.
9: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank
0: you. So you were diagnosed back in 1997 with type 1 diabetes. Can you tell us a little bit of your diagnosis to Diva story?
9: Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I was diagnosed in 19. And back then I lived in Denmark. That's where I was born and raised. Um, so I basically, it wasn't super dramatic in the sense that I, well, I was showing a lot of the symptoms. You know, I was very thirsty. Um, I was not gaining weight despite having a vicious hunger all the time, really eating a lot. And, you know, I have to go around to the bathroom all the time. So some of the common symptoms of, you know, diabetes. So at one point I fell asleep at a at a family gathering and I have like a family of medical pre- professionals and they're like, You should probably see a doctor, this is not normal. So I went to my doctor, again, I was nineteen. I was partying a lot. My doctor knew this. He's like, you need to take better care of yourself. You need to, you know, sleep. Maybe, you know, yeah, hold back on the partying and let's just measure blood sugars for good measures. And right there on the spot, I was diagnosed with diabetes because my blood sugars were way high. Um, and he sent me home. This is Denmark. So I was on my bicycle home from the doctor thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Because I knew nothing of diabetes, no family history, no nothing. And he clearly did not do a good job of explaining it in the office. He probably didn't know that much about diabetes either. He was my primary care doctor. Um, so basically I came home. I'm very lucky. My mom is a nurse, and she has a pretty good understanding of diabetes, so she could explain it to me. And then she and, that and I is, went I mean, unfortunately,
0: specialty. that's we a common it. story, don't you think? I mean, have mm-hmm. you heard that through Diabetes Strong about people being – you know, their first experience of diagnosis, not maybe not getting all the information they needed, or, you know, I'm sure just the uh, initial surprise and shock of being mm-hmm. uh, and overwhelm of being diagnosed would also stop you from even listening to good information. Have you heard this before, a common theme with your story?
9: Oh, yeah. First thing is, actually, it's a misconception to think that Taiwan is for kids or some, something that kids get diagnosed with. I think it's about 50% who are over the age of 21 when they get diagnosed with Taiwan. 1. And I have met several people who told me they got to the doctor, they got this, uh, diagnosed as adults, got a prescription, and then they were sent home. They got a prescription for insulin and was just sent home. No explanation how you use this. One girl I just talked to last week, she's like, yeah, she was lucky that the pharmacist, kind of could see the panic in her eyes. I like, do you even know how to use this? And gave her an explanation. So very much so. <laughs> A lot of people don't get the support they need up front. And, you know, it's just outright dangerous. But you
0: were able to kind of uh, transition that because you went from, again, this kind of uncertainty, as you explained, mm-hmm. and then you uh, started becoming more active to the point where – you started competing in fitness competitions. And I'm just curious, like, with that little knowledge, and, of course, this is a journey which we want to hear about, Uh how you kind of transitioned to uh, working out with diabetes. Because I know a lot of my listeners always write into us that they're very fearful of working out because of those unexpected lows they might experience when they're on a treadmill or lifting weights.
8: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
9: I mean, mine was definitely a journey. I was diagnosed at 19. I didn't start competing until I was in my 30s. So it definitely took a while before I got to that that sort of fitness level. Um, but basically, when we talk about exercise and diabetes, so that's all I do now, right? I run Diabetes Strong. That's all I write about is pretty much exercise and diabetes. And what I find is that understanding, when people understand and get a gain a better understanding of what's going on in the body when we exercise, This kind of these little like, light bulbs going on, and it becomes easier for people to manage their diabetes while exercising. So I'm not going to bore you with like all the details of this quite a bit, but just in general knowing, just knowing that when you're going on a treadmill and you do what we call aerobic exercise, that means your heart rate comes up, sort of stays up, when you do that, and especially when you take insulin, you are more likely to experience low blood sugar. So that little golden nugget, actually, of information makes it possible for us to counteract that, right? Because if somebody living with diabetes, and when you take insulin, there's basically two levers. You can pull back your insulin or you can eat more carbs. That's kind of the two levers. levers. But just knowing that, again, that means that before I go for a jog, which I should mention, doesn't happen that often, but before I go for a jog, I know to either dial back my insulin or eat a snack. That way I will most likely not go low. And notice my wording, most likely, because, again, the body is a complex machine and we don't have full information, so we don't necessarily know all that's going on. But just implementing that small strategy of either reducing our mats or increasing our carbs can significantly reduce the chance of having a, a low blood sugar during cardio.
0: Well, I remember um, going <laughs> to a diabetes and exercise summit with my dad and my mom when I first started uh, diabetic, and a, a marathon runner, Missy Foyt, uh, I believe her name is, uh, was talking about even in the best circumstances of training for a race, sometimes she mm-hmm. would enter a race and have to drop out because the, uh, no matter how much work she did with her coach to kind of see where her blood sugars were and to have it in targets so she could race that way, uh, yeah. it, it could still be thrown off. And I would think, just going back to what you are saying, for a first-time person, if they experienced, if they thought they were doing everything right and they were trying mm-hmm. to add an exercise program into their life, but they kept experiencing these unexpected blood sugars, it would be frustrating. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that, because that must have happened for you as well.
9: Oh, yeah. And that's why when I say that the body is a complex machine, we don't know everything that's going on, right? So our hormone levels play a huge role in, in how our blood sugar is going to act. So what I always, the way I, I get frustrated as well because I don't get it right every time. And I call myself sort of like a black belt.
10: And that's right.
9: And I don't get it right. And your marathon runner does not get it right either. So I try to implement the thought that I did my best. Sometimes there are things that are outside of my control that will just result in a different outcome than I expected. And it's really hard to be said about and it's something I struggle with as well. But I try everybody I interact with, I always try and you know, instill this this idea that it's okay. You did your best but you don't have full control. You don't know everything that's going on. You did your best, that's good enough. And then, of course, always if you go out and exercise, bring all your medical gear. Right? You bring your glucose meter. You bring bring some of your emergency snacks, like glucose tablets or juice or something like that. Always be prepared.
0: And since the theme this year for World Diabetes Day is family and diabetes, I'm mm-hmm. curious because we do have a lot of uh, women who listen to this podcast, as as well as men who are single living with diabetes and. Yeah. want to get into a relationship and want to have families. I want to talk a little bit about your husband, because he has played mm-hmm. a big part in this with you. How how has yes. he reacted to some of these unexpected blood sugars and just kind of the emotions you're having? Because uh, I would I would assume, and you could talk more to this point, you're fairly um, open with him about some of those frustrations mm-hmm. and uh, times when you're just kind of want to knock your head against the wall.
9: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the backstory is, first of all, my husband and I, we, we started dating back in 2000. So we've been together for a long time. Um, and actually, even before I met him, his older brother was dating a girl who had Taiwan, who with Taiwan diabetes. So when we started dating, I was like one year into my diagnosis. I think he knew more about diabetes than I did. Um, so that's a little bit of a unique situation. Um, but, I mean, I, we, talk about diabetes a whole lot at home because, you know, we run Diabetes Strong together. He's a very much an integrated part of it. So he understands. He knows about diabetes burnout. He knows what to look for, and he also knows how to support me. So that's something we talked about is that, you know, for example, if I have – I've had scary lows, not where I needed support as such, but, you know, or help. I had never passed out. But I've had scary lows. I've been there shaking, just stuffing my head with, glucose cat. and of course he worries he loves me right and the last time it happened I remember we were sitting there together and he's just sitting there he didn't say anything he's just sitting there Who's just there for me so if I needed more support he was there um he has well I, I, I try to ask him because I do think that our spouses or significant others I think it's a burden for them as well so we do try to have conversation about well how does this impact him Um, and I mean, his general feedback has been, thank you for asking. I'm okay. I'm okay because I know you are. So I think in general, we just try to have open conversations about it. You know, he also understands that when things go out of whack, which they do sometimes, sometimes I'll have higher low blood sugars that I can't necessarily explain because I don't know what's going on. And I can get frustrated and I'll voice that out loud and he'll just listen, right? But the funny thing is, sometimes we also, and again, that's also because he really understands diabetes by now. We'll have conversations about my basal rates <laughs> because that would be like pink. You will see. So basal rates is my my nighttime insulin, for example, this insulin that goes on in the background, right? So I adjust that fairly often, just because you know I'll be doing different things and my body will have different needs, and we'll be sort of discussing, well, what about if we did if I did this or if I did that, and it's more me coming up with ideas and he him helping to try to troubleshoot with me so it's very much a partnership and I think I think that's why it works right it's about listening knowing when and this is the hard thing for a man I think knowing when to give advice and when to just listen when to go into let me fix it mode and when to just listen a I think you're very
0: fortunate. I, I think it's great to share that. I, I think it shows people inspiration and ideas that, that can, they could have the love of their life in their, uh, while living with diabetes, and we support that. And it's wonderful to hear, to hear about your partnership and what you're doing together. On a pop culture side, though, mm-hmm. so, so we want to ask you, you compete in these fitness competitions. This is the year of the women. Muscles, bikinis, uh-huh. and high heels are an interesting combination, and I'm just curious to know what do you think of the Miss America pageant eliminating swimsuit competition? So many women on uh, who are past contestants were half of them were for it and half of them were against it. How do you weigh in on huh. women uh, and muscles and bikinis and
9: high heels? <laughs> well, it's not just high heels; it's like clear plastic high heels. <laughs> so it's a whole different. Um, well, I mean, the, the point of the bodybuilding shows is to show off the muscles that's really hard to do if you're fully dressed so kind of the bikini you know lens to that you can actually show off your muscles there are actually rules for how small the bikinis can be so you're not allowed to do songs and stuff like that so do they do have some rules that i think well my perspective on the Miss america is that's kind of that's a different thing they're they're looking for and i at least that's how i understand it that they're looking for you know what can the women bring from an intelligence perspective, right? How can they represent the brand in a positive way? I actually think it's fine to skip the bathing suit because they're not going to be waltzing around in bathing suits while, you know, representing the brand outside of the world and doing uh, volunteer work and stuff like that. So I'm for it. I'm all for that one. I don't think. Well, again, the reason I make... I'm asking is because
0: a lot of <laughs> listeners with diabetes, uh, you know they feel like they're inferior for some reason it does affect and we'll bring in dr wendy in a little while the diabetes psych who's mm-hmm. going to be giving away copies of her fabulous book friendship matters but this whole idea you know there's diabulimia especially around um, yeah. for women with type 1 diabetes we're not going to talk about that subject but there's a lot of body distortion going on in the world yeah. and so it's curious because here you are a woman living with type 1 who's really very proud of her body and muscular and i think that had to even having muscles as a woman is somewhat of a controversy, you know, today. And so I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, where, what the sense of your being is about and what you would share to other listeners. Because I know we've, we've talked about this subject many times on our show about body image and diabetes. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of our listeners do have issues around it who aren't as um, mm-hmm. outspoken as you are. Yeah.
9: Well, I mean, first of all, I want to tell everybody, I tell everybody I work with as well, The stage look—if you see me, if you look up, you don't have to maybe Google me, and you find me, and you see the stage pictures where I'm wearing that glittery bikini and my plastic heels—that is not health. That is a sport. Being that skinny is not sustainable, and it's only for stage. I just want to point that out. It's not—I mean, being a woman and running around with a body fat around ten—no, that's not. This is not. It's not healthy. So what I strive for. Outside of that one time every two year or years or whatever on stage, what I'm trying to strive for, as I'm trying to strive for, strength. Right. So I think I, I, I think it's very predominant in the Taiwan space, but also in general, just among any adult, and unfortunately also kids, is that we always want to strive for thinner, which is really sad but I think it's so ingrained in the western culture. Um so what I'm trying to focus on and this is not going to work for everybody, right? But what I'm trying to focus on is more functional strength. So I love going to the gym just because it makes me feel empowered. I love that I can go there, I can push around some weight and I can feel strong. I can actually lift stuff typically from A to B. That's strength. Right? So I try, and this is a process and I'm not 100% there either, but I try to just take it take the focus away from what the scale says and necessarily what I see in the mirror because I do suffer from, especially from body dysmorphia meaning that what I see the reflection I see I know that's not reality um, it's taking a long time to get there but I know that so what I try to focus on again is my strength I, try to, I put away my, my scale completely I try and focus on well how does my clothes fit Am I happy? So those three things, right? And it's, as I said, it's a process, and I don't think I'm there yet. I'm still working on it, being happy in my own skin. And I, I always think that one of the reasons why we as women and men living with type 1 maybe are even more focused on it is that we go to our doctor, a lot of us, three times, uh, well, every three months to get our checkups, right? We always get measured. We don't have to stand on the scale. Our blood sugars get measured. Everything gets measured and weighed and compared and how we're doing. It's rarely, you know, how strong are you or the mental side of things. So automatically there's a lot of measuring us, looking at our weight. We're also being told all all the time that insulin makes us heavier and all these things. So I think it's very natural for, or not natural is not the right word, but it's not. I'm not surprised that so many of us are, or have body issues.
0: I agree. It's a it's a complicated subject, and you know, having you on the show, I think is making a lot of difference in a lot of our listeners' lives. But oh my gosh, Crystal,
1: <laughs>
0: Trisha Addie Gentle is back, and. This time, Patricia, you've got something. Oh, she's reading a newspaper. Please, uh, Crystal, it's time for your hot seat question. Please take a seat in the red velvet chair that was occupied earlier by Dr. Wendy uh, Graham. Sue Perez, And poet Lorraine Brooks. Um, help yourself to a cool, refreshing drink off to the side. We're going to find out how much you know. What? Oh, wait, Patricia's listening to my ear. Not about World Diabetes Day, but about diabetes headlines from around the world. Oh, Patricia, Ooh. that's smart of you. Here it is true or false? The tuberculosis vaccine could help improve blood sugar levels for people living with type 1 diabetes. True or false?
9: Uh, true. True.
0: Oh, it
3: she's fanning
0: herself. It How would she do, Patricia? Put down that magazine and tell us how she did.
3: (laughs) She did a great job. According to a study that was uh, a group of researchers um, performed from Harvard University and the Massachusetts General Hospital, there were 50 people with type 1 diabetes who saw long-term average blood sugar levels drop, and they dropped significantly after receiving two tuberculosis shots, four weeks apart after three years. The vaccine, however, was developed in the early 1990s. So I think a little more uh, research probably is necessary before we can actually just run with that, but it's quite interesting.
0: It is. Do you ever watch, do you ever follow the headlines, uh, Crystal? I do. And diabetes. I'm sorry.
9: I do. I do try and follow along with some of the studies that come out. So there's some great like recaps that are being sent out daily. I love it. One of the headlines I was
0: reading in OK Magazine. Sorry, I didn't. I wasn't reading the medical (laughs) journals with Patricia. I'm the one at the doctor's office coveting that People (laughs) magazine. This dog-eared copy though. Glass night was talking about her good friend Aretha Franklin who she ran into quite often on the road over the years. and the two di- Every time the two divas were performing near each other, one would just show up at the other one's show. Well, imagine how Gladys Knight would feel if she found out that her good friend, who she claims that the fans would be surprised to find out that Aretha Franklin was very shy, how would Gladys Knight feel if she found out that Aretha Franklin decided to cover her classic song, Midnight Train to Georgia? Well, guess what, listeners? You're going to have a chance to listen and judge it for yourself, because we're about to play it courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Welcome back to Diabetes Last Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divi Bidic. I was laughing because that was a long cut because I thought I might need a break an hour and a half into this podcast. But actually, with all these divas, I'm more excited than ever. And I'm celebrating World Diabetes Day. Coming up, though, we're going to challenge Jessica from Cincinnati. She's one of our all-time favorite divas. She's been on the show before, but she's going she doesn't know this yet, but she's going to have to play the Teach Me Tonight Insulin Challenge game with us. But right now, we thought, you know what, if you're on a game show, you might need a coach. So we thought we'd take a minute and we would meet my next guest. She's a board certified educator, health coach, and writer with a personal diabetes experience, compassion, and professionalism. She nurtures trusting relationships, promoting healthy changes in an empowered environment. Please welcome to the show. Coach for the cure, Trisha Artman. Hello, Trisha. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm fabulous. Nice to be here. Thank you for here. wearing blue tonight. I love it. The oh, blue God. boa, the My blue favorite. tank top, the blue, yeah, you look great.
10: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right,
0: well, the theme for World Diabetes Day is family and diabetes. I know you coach a lot of families and children around uh, diabetes. I'm curious to know how, in your experience, how families have dealt with the initial diagnosis of type 1 diabetes uh, with their children.
10: Um, I think – Every family definitely deals with it differently, but it's a bit of a shock in the beginning. I think um, maybe even a sense of panic. What do we do? What do we do? You're looking for um, looking to the doctors for guidance, and I think something that's missing is also that emotional component because you know you're you're trying to survive. Survival mode, I think, is what's happening right at, right at first, and um, you know you're you're taught what to do insulin-wise, physically taking the needles, the shots, and how to how to recover from that emergency stage, but then there's that, that emotional component that's not addressed and something that should be diagnosed right away with with the physical. You know, um, it, it just goes hand in hand. And, actually, um, and you were Jessica,
0: diagnosed at 17 with type 1 diabetes. So how did you deal with that emotional yes. component?
10: You know, at 17. It was right before I was leaving for college. So I was thinking, oh, I'm so adult-like, I'm independent. And, you know, my friends were, that was my life. So to get diagnosed with diabetes, and then all of a sudden, you kind of felt like, or I felt like I was a child again, even though I, now that I look back, I definitely was. So it it was very um, devastating to me, I think, in the beginning, because, so I, I, to avoid having to have the parents back, so on top of me, I, I kind of took it and I ran. And I, okay, tell me what I need to do. Let me learn how to get this so I can go back to my normal life, which was freedom, my friends, and then being able to kind of leave the nest. So I, I kind of took it and ran with it at first. But soon I caught up, the emotional side caught up with me because I didn't, I didn't express how I was really feeling. I think I didn't really know. You know, I didn't take the time to, to know.
0: So. Well, you know, our our previous guest, Crystal, was diagnosed at nineteen. You were at seventeen. You heard her yes. talk a little bit about self-image oh, and I diabetes. Totally I know we do have a younger audience always listening to this show. What do you? What, do, what did you? When you heard her talking, did it ring a uh, same chord? And what were you? What were you thinking when you were first diagnosed? And how do you think it affected your self-image?
10: Um, I think I I wanted to sweep it under the rug. I wanted to just go back and and not miss. You know, so for me, I did whatever I had to to keep that image going, but it wasn't realistic. And it was almost, you know, when people go on a diet, like a willpower thing, it was eventually going to fade. I, I had to come to terms with how I was really feeling and what this really meant, what this really was. And um, so communication is something that is so important. And I did relate with, with her story and saying how she communicated with her partner and how that has really helped her because... You know, once I was able to, to release and exhale is when I really came to terms with what, what I was dealing with, you know, what was going on and 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 how I could move forward, really. But until then, it was doing every day was kind of like, um okay, like a dance, you know, like let me do what I got to do quick and then stuff it under the rug, like have this different persona when I went out into the world. It wasn't really me, you know. It was kind of like acting in a way, and I think that caused some problems for me. Early on, you know, not identifying and really taking in the concept of, of what there was a change that had happened. There was a loss, and I, I didn't get a chance to mourn what had happened to my body. I think that was Right, that and, was you,
0: you know, with the theme of family and diabetes, we mentioned earlier that uh, the International Diabetes Federation mentioned that two out of three people don't know uh what to do for a family member living with diabetes. So, I know yeah. you do a lot of counseling around this and we just this is a mm-hmm. a big thing if you are struggling with it. I uh, we're assuming family members struggle with it too. Sure. What's your advice on hands-on or hands-off parenting uh children with diabetes? What are the pros and cons <laughs> to being the helicopter mom, right, that's what they call right. it today, I think, or the yeah. what's the other mom? The latchkey mom or dad?
10: <laughs> I think so, maybe. Um, you know, I think it's so black and white when, when we put it like that hands on or hands off. And I, I think it there really needs to be so much more gray in the middle there, you know, because there's, even if you were completely, if you were hands off the person or the child dealing with diabetes, you still need your support, whether they're really, if they're 19, if they're six, whatever age there is, even when you're an adult, I know my partner, I need, I need that support sometimes. And just knowing that somebody understands and, when you go low or if you have a high, understanding what that means and how to react. And I think that really is important to have the conversations beforehand. So, you know, if this happens, this is how I would really like for us to handle it. You know, this is how I might be feeling. Or, so, so you can go into the action mode, and I think that helps your other partner or, your, or the parent know what to do and know how to be helpful because ultimately we want it to be good, the parent kid relationship and even if the kids at that age where they're standoff they're pushing you out the door like nope nope i got this deep down they want you to be there they want to know that there's some security there for them so to have those conversations and and really listen i think is so important so valuable no matter what age you are at um so there has to be um you know an in-between a gray not so much black or white of hands All right. on and hands
0: on. Let's talk a little bit about the sibling relationships because I have an older mm-hmm. brother living with diabetes. He was diagnosed uh, with type 1 in his 30s, like uh, Crystal mentioned earlier. Not everyone gets diagnosed at 3 yeah. or 4 with type 1 diabetes, and uh, Jessica, who's going to be coming up? We're so excited to have her back on the show. Who blogged about this experience? Talked a little uh, bit about the whole family situation and that sometimes people with type one diabetes, you know, people think they're whiners or complainers. Have you ever have dealt with someone like that in your in your coaching uh, experience?
10: Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, even myself too. I um, I could definitely ad- identify with Jessica. Um, I think you know you. You're dealing with so much all the time with diabetes. There is it's ups and downs completely, and um, every day is different. But it it can feel that way, especially when the communication is not there. So we internalize it, and oh, I, I'm a burden. You know, I I'm causing all this money is going out the window too. Our parents pay for us all the time, or you know, health care insurance, all these things, and it's we start turning it around and putting it all on us when so we're already dealing with the illness, and then we've, we're adding that to ourselves too. And so we're filling ourselves with things that probably aren't true, you know, and, but we don't know because we haven't had the conversation. So to be able to open up, like actually like Jessica did, I, I was amazed at her, at her Facebook post because I was rooting for her. I'm like, yes, this is what we need. She was honest. She was raw. And she was so empowering because a lot of us cover that up and we feel it. And we, we kind of stuff those emotions in and, where if we let them out, maybe it doesn't have to be as public as that, but even in, in a journal or you kind of get that emotions out first and then you can come back to it and say, okay, like, now what am I going to do about this? Or how much of this is accurate? Or let me ask about this. Cause maybe am I a burden or, you know, maybe in your, the ideas that we have can be completely off, but we need to have the conversations and really find out what is the truth and how can we work on it from there? So I think that's what I try and do as a coach is really open up those lines of communication and and help people feel not so shameful about the ways that they're feeling. Because I know that I what? identify with her. I was like, yes, I have been her. I, I get this. And I know a lot of my clients have too.
0: Well, you know what my coach tells me in volleyball when I play? To move. You might want to move
1: right now. Oh,
0: no. Not the hot seat. No. <laughs> We just say to everyone, Patricia, you're from hot Atlanta, so being in the hot seat is no big deal for you, but it might be for you, Tricia Hartman.
10: Uh, oh, please boy. take a
0: seat in that red velvet chair.
10: Okay. Going to get cold. All right, we're going to find out
0: how much you know about World Diabetes Day. Patricia is fanning me with another – oh, okay, I see what you want me to talk about. Um, hmm, interesting, Patricia. Who came up with the concept of the international symbol for diabetes? Trisha, was it a woman living with diabetes, a man living with diabetes, a mom of a child living with diabetes, a dad of a child living with diabetes, or a family living with diabetes? Who came up with the concept for the international symbol of diabetes? I'm
10: gonna say. Wait. I'm gonna say a mom with diabetes. Oh, I'm a mom with diabetes. You're gonna say what? A mom with diabetes.
3: Oh, my God, Patricia. Oh,
1: yay. <laughs> great. Great. Wow.
0: What do you have to say, Patricia?
3: Yes, it was a mom, a, a mom of a, a type 1. Her child had type 1 diabetes, and this mother was in Oregon. Her name was Carrie Rosenfeld. She came up with this concept. For an international symbol for diabetes, she and her daughter Claire, who was diagnosed with type 1 more than two decades ago at age 7, were the main force behind the UN resolution that originally pitched the idea to the International Diabetes Federation to bring about more uh, worldwide awareness and attention to this illness.
0: Great. Did you know that? Did you know that, Tricia?
10: No, I didn't.
0: Wow. All right. Well, that was – I do now. uh, You know, a coach is kind of like a teacher. So before we bring in our final guest, Jessica from Cincinnati, uh, one of the divas that Aretha Franklin spotlighted is Dinah Washington, an American singer and pianist who performed and recorded a wide range of styles, including blues, R&B, traditional pop music, and gave herself the title of the queen of the blues. Well, move over to the Queen of the Blues because the Queen of the Soul is going to take on one of your biggest hits and bring us up to date on what we're going to be playing tonight our Teach Me Tonight Challenge. Here's Aretha Franklin singing Teach Me Tonight off of her. Aretha Franklin sings the Great Diva Classics
8: album courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Great. Thank you.
1: I
0: Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm here, Mr. Bedek. I made an error. I wanted to say the person who helped create that um, symbol was not a mom with diabetes. It was a mom with a child living with diabetes, and she had a daughter. Right. I'm sorry for that mistake, everybody. I'm too excited because I want to welcome our final guest, uh, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi. You're on. All our guests are back. Dr. Wendy, say hello.
6: Hi, happy to be here. So uh, impressed with what everybody's saying.
0: Uh, Crystal's on the line. Say hello. Hello, everyone. And uh, does she need an introduction? Uh. Patricia, you're on the line. Let me see you in the in the uh, studio. All right. So uh, Jessica, we're all here because we want we want to talk a little bit about the story you blogged about so um, wonderfully and openly earlier this week. And then we're going to challenge you with our insulin game tonight. And you could walk away with an autographed copy of Friendship Matters, courtesy of Dr. Wendy yeah. Satin uh, Rappaport. Oh, then so I better win. Little. Okay. <laughs> so tell us about uh, what what prompted you to write this
8: blog.
5: Um, so a lot of things. I do a lot of internalization and, and writing and, you know, what I can. Um, and it started – Obviously, in a very low point, I had had my second um, surgery on my eye due to complications from diabetes, and had found out I had lost um, the majority of my vision in my right eye. And around the same time, my niece was diagnosed with type 1 at the age of 3, and I was diagnosed at the age of 5, and I was just heartbroken. And I journaled it personally um, in a dark room tears in my eyes, just everything I wanted everybody to know about me as a diabetic. They know about me and my job and my hobbies and my favorite music, but they don't know these things about me as a diabetic. And I'd wanted to share it for a long, long time. I thought it was things that people could relate to or wanted to say but couldn't find the words or the courage or necessarily wanted to put themselves out there like that. Um, and I sat there the night I posted it and I said, I'm going to do it. And if I regret it in an hour, I can delete it. And, um, I fell asleep. And next thing I know, um, my friend Zoe Matson, who runs God Insulin in Australia, she shared it. People in Australia are liking it all over the United States and so many people, it resonated with them. And I, I just, I said, I knew that's why I did this. I knew we weren't all alone in that feeling of being lonely.
0: And so, how do you feel today? I mean, after doing that, and, and I mean, what what are, what's how does it, how does it feel? Because I am curious to know, uh, since you just talked a little bit about 24 hours later, but how do you now feel like 40, uh, 72 hours later, or how many days it's been?
5: I, I I love it, and I'm I'm so happy that it was able to help so many people and connect so many people. And, you know, those moments of those really dark pits, they're not all the time. They're not every day. You know, that's not how I walk around with diabetes. I'm loud. I'm proud. I, I love living and talking as a diabetic and sharing my experiences and bringing awareness and education. But part of that is sharing those dark moments and, um, I just I am so grateful and happy that I can share those things and meet these people. I just it makes me love this diabetic life a thousand times more than I did before.:
0: I love it. I think that's great, and uh, we're so grateful to have you share that and um you're looking at our crew back here on the um, green room. We're all on stage with you because guess what? Yes. World Diabetes Day, and I like to play games. And our diva inspiration, the Queen of Soul, said, "Max, you better play my song." So you're gonna play.
1: Yeah, yeah. Teach me tonight. All right. So
0: you could phone a friend and choose from Dr. Wendy tonight if you're in trouble. Trisha, you could choose Trisha. You could choose Crystal, uh, Jessica. You can't choose me, and you can't choose Patricia Addy Gentle. So I was looking for her sound effect, but I can't find it. But you could choose any of these people to help you with these questions. It's all about insulin, raising awareness on World Diabetes Day. Here's your first question. What's the most common method of injecting insulin? Is it insulin syringes, insulin inhalers, insulin pens? I'm What's a little nervous. What's the most nervous. common method of injecting insulin? Insulin syringe, insulin inhalers, Insulin pens, Jessica.
5: I'm a little nervous for my answer because I'm sweating, but I'm gonna go with my gut and say pens.
0: Your final answer?
5: Yes. Oh no! Is it was it syringes. I knew it.
0: What is it, Patricia?
5: You're
3: right. Your second instinct. It, it is the syringe. It's the oldest way that we have for injecting insulin and it is the more common way Uh, although there are pens available inhalers and pumps so a person who is an insulin user can talk with their doctor about the best option for them
0: and dr wendy a lot of people are scared about uh, needles and they get burned out like crystal mentioned earlier do you have any any thoughts on that
6: well, you know, that's another great time to prevent burnout is to have a psychologist or a coach who's always on your team because sometimes there will be burnout. You know, the relaxation techniques are helpful for people who have fear. So if you're actually, I actually wrote an article maybe 25 years ago about uh, how to get over the fear of needles. But, you know, having someone to talk about it, a support group, you know, doing what Jessica did, revealing everything she felt, that lets you get over the fear because you identify it and you take away the shame and you. You substitute pride. I mean, people with diabetes, to me, have more positive skills than most people I meet because you have to think deeply and be introspective and and love life in spite of hardship and know how to handle adversity. Those are things people have to know later. But, um, you know, so having that support, never being alone. And I personally always immediately match somebody who gets diabetes with another mentor or a peer because you never want to be alone. And I love the support group concept, because that is uh, incredibly helpful for people. It normalizes that your fear and your anger will pass. and may come back, but you're going to know how to reach out to somebody when you when you feel it again. Um, and that uh, that friendship and never being alone is just so important that we learn how to stop our judgments and uh, exercise when you're upset. That's the other skill. Writing and exercise are two of the things you've talked about tonight, the whole group has, and those are powerful. They let you know what you feel, and they let you get rid of the agitation. Did you notice I never – Yeah, oh, yeah, teach me tonight. Come on, Dr. Wendy, but it's all good.
0: We're going to keep going because we've got to get some books away in a minute. All right, and here's your second question. In ancient times, doctors would test diet for diabetes by, is it A, check the patient's eyes, B, taste the patient's urine, or C, listen to the patient's heart. Remember, you could, go, you could phone a friend with Crystal, Tricia, Dr. Wendy. They're all standing by. The question for Jessica from Cincinnati tonight is, in ancient times, doctors would test for diabetes by A, check the patient's eyes, B, taste the patient's urine, C, listen to the patient's heart. Your answer, Jessica. Are you phoning a friend, or what are you thinking?
5: I actually, I and if I'm wrong on this, I'm going to go crazy because I've read this in multiple books. It was tasting Uh the patient's urine. Mm.
0: Patricia, what do you have to say about that? And please don't. That is the right
3: answer. Um, The urine would have a a kind of a sweet taste to it, and so they did taste the urine. Back in um, earlier days, people um, who were had the sweet. Tasty urine were called water tasters. I mean, well, that's what they call the procedure, is water tasting. Other diagnostic measures included checking to see if the urine attracted ants or flies. They would sit the urine Mm. out in the atmosphere to see if ants or flies were attracted to it. Because we do know that um, when a person has diabetes, once it passes through the bloodstream, it does go through the urine. It's filtered through the urine. So there is sugar in the urine.
0: All right. And, Crystal, everyone's wanting to know from the Diabetes Strong, is, is it safe to drink urine? Are you recommending that?
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> a person's know? urine well, is about 95% do water, and it is sterile. So oh. in the short term, it's safe to drink, and it does replenish lost water. But the other 5% of Urine comprises a diverse mixture, a collection of waste products, including nitrogen, potassium, and calcium. So too much of these can cause problems.
0: Well, I would to ask so I suggest that we but go around drinking it, what urine. What does it taste like? Have you tasted it? What does urine taste like?
3: <laughs> I have never tasted urine, but I am told that urine is, is for a healthy person, tastes a little salty. And right. yeah, yeah, teach me
1: tonight.
0: Oh, Aretha, that's too much information. <laughs> Thank you, Patricia, for doing that. Oh, it's time for our instant winner game. Uh Jessica, no pressure, but last Thursday I posted tonight's game on our diabetic Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Twitter feeds. Only one per oh, only 5 people got it right out of 30. So tonight, we need to have, uh, if you get it right, we're going to give away an autographed uh, copy of Dr. Wendy Satin rapaports new book, No Pressure to You, as well as to our listener. Dr. Wendy, can you please choose a number from one to five?
6: Uh, three.
0: Thank you. Patricia, for doing that. Uh, Priscilla Arnett, you're not lucky number three. Tonight you're going to win a copy, Dr. Wendy, an autograph copy, right, Dr. Wendy, A uh, Friendship Matters. If Jessica from Cincinnati gets the next question oh, right. Oh,
1: gosh. Uh,
0: feel free to phone a friend. You've got Trisha there.
1: Yes. Yeah. The <laughs>
0: Diabetes Strong, Diabetes Psych. And, uh, oh, it looks like Patricia's taking a break to drink something over there. I'm not going to ask what. (laughs) Okay, so here it is. Which animal was insulin first tested on? I'll raise a glass, uh, Patricia. Which animal was insulin first tested on? Was it a cow, a pig, or a dog? Was it a cow, a
5: pig, or a dog? (laughs) Uh, my gut instinct didn't work the first time around, and I'm deciding between two, so I am going to phone a friend for okay. sure
8: because
0: I have Trisha, someone else's surprise on the line. So would you like oh, Trisha, Crystal, or Dr. Wendy?
5: Oh, my gosh. That's that's like how do you pick <laughs> between three wonderful, knowledgeable picks? uh Let's just pick Trisha.
10: Hey, uh, okay. Okay. I'm ready. Um, what do you think? What's your gut? Well, I'm I feel like it
5: was cow because I always remember reading bovine. Oh. But I true. feel like it could be
10: pig. So I, I was thinking pig, but mm, nice. <laughs> <it could be. laughs> Can we add another friend? <laughs> All right, that's Crystal.
0: Crystal, what do you think? Is it a cow, a pig, or a dog? They're leaning towards pig, I believe they said.
10: Oh, it could be cow. Yeah, I, I was saying tough. pig. That's I was what I thinking,
5: thinking dog.
6: But, oh, boy. I was thinking cow.
0: I'm not helping. <laughs> I'm not All helping. Dr. Wendy, what was your gut? a cow, a pig, or a dog?
6: <laughs> I like how Trisha was doing it. She was saying, well, what's your gut?
1: Uh, she passed yeah, it back.
6: She just
0: passed <laughs> it I over. That, that was good. Like That's <laughs> like on Price is Right, I'll pass on that showcase because I know that the really good one's coming up next. All right.
10: So no, I want to know her feelings. I needed to know. Your your final
0: <laughs> guess, ladies, is the pig, is that correct? Is that what we're going for? <laughs> Jessica, did you are you going with pig? Uh,
5: yes.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Patricia and Priscilla, <laughs> oh, the correct
1: answer Priscilla is a, is a
3: dog. The Canadian what? Oh. The physician, Banting, and his medical student, Charles Best, were credited with discovering the hormone insulin in the pancreatic extracts of dogs. Wow.
5: Wow. (laughs) Okay, well, at least if I got it wrong, I learned something. So, yes. (laughs) Not only did did
0: you learn, there was a lot of confusion around the pig, but why was there confusion around the pig, Patricia?
3: Well, insulin was originally derived from the pancreas of cows and pigs. So, mm-hmm. we had beef and we had pork insulin that were um, sold and on the market, and that's probably what they're thinking about.
5: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, guess it.
0: what? It's all good because it's World Diabetes <laughs> Day, and Dr. Wendy said she'll still give Jessica, you, a copy of Friendship Matters, and Priscilla, we're going to send you an autographed copy of Friendship Matters. Oh, yay. So, everyone's a winner tonight on the show. How's
1: that, everybody? <laughs> good.
0: I want to I wanna thank everyone for uh, tuning in tonight. I want to thank all my guests for being on the show. I want to tell you not to miss my annual holiday show coming up with music for Kelly Clarkson on Tuesday, December fir- uh, 4th. And please subscribe to the D- DivaBetic e-newsletter. I can't believe it's two hours. It's already gone by. <laughs> Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. We're going to close the show with my favorite song off of Franklin. Aretha Franklin's album, and it's heard a surprising rendition of Adele's Rolling in the Deep. Let's get moving, everybody. Here we go. Enjoy the song. Have a good night.